Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 153. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. All right, Nick. Hey, so this is uh, part two of our uh, discussion with Scott Lowe. Yes, and this is also the first episode released in the year 2022. Happy New Year, John. Happy New Year to you. But I mean, you don't just get rid of everything that's old. we got to review what happened to Scott Lowe in part one. Because if you missed episode 152, go back and check it out to learn about Scott's early career as a technical cha- trainer how he got into blogging and writing, and a little bit about that elite individual contributor path that involves the principal role. Yeah, that was uh, just a great episode to listen to. So if you if you missed it, definitely go back and listen. For sure. This week, the story continues. Scott's going to give us some time management tips. How can you manage your time more effectively when you're doing all these high-impact activities? He's going to touch on his view of generalist versus specialist. And if you didn't hear our views, you can find those in episode 26. This is a nice follow-up to that. And then he'll tell us a little bit about what startup life is like. Yeah, the only other thing that I'd point out is to listen for his you know, philosophy and activities when it comes to content consumption as part of his job and part of his... It sounded like what he kind of felt like was part of his career uh, curation. So um, definitely listen for that. At the risk of spoiling everything, let's not actually talk about anything else. Let's jump straight to episode 153, part two of our discussion with Scott Lowe. really interesting here, Scott. You know, you, you blog, write a book, and what you run into is this time management crunch and focus conflict. So as you start to add more and more to your, we'll call it sphere of influence, as you said before, what tends to happen is the level of project maybe gets a little bit larger in scope or maybe lengthier, I guess. And you start to do all this work, and and I imagine you have to be very selective about the things you decide to do next. So can you shed some light for listeners on what you use to guide your focus on the thing you're going to do next and how you manage your time when you get when you start to do all these things? Like the, the story about checking in with your family was great. I think that's fantastic. But were there other things like during the day-to-day at your job that you had to change to take that next level in your career as you were doing these things? Time management is something that I've I've talked about a lot. And it's it's an interesting thing because 
I feel like time management is an area where I could improve. Same here. And maybe, maybe that feeling of thinking you can improve is just part of, part of it, right? And that's what drives us to continue to explore and continue to learn and continue to gather knowledge and then, and then turn around and give it away. It's an engineering but, optimization problem. There we go. There we go. As far as time management, like there, there, there really are no good answers. It's really all about trade-offs. So earlier in my career, and I have made the conscious decision to, to back off of this a little bit, but earlier in my, in my technology career, I made the decision that like, I wasn't going to watch a lot of TV. And whereas, you know, I could, I could talk to folks who, and, you know, come in the next day at work. Hey, what'd you do last night? Oh man, I sat down and I watched the game, you know, whatever it was, right. And two or three hours, da, 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 whatever. What did you do? And I said, like, well, you know, I spent 30 minutes or an hour, whatever the case may be with my family. In case you hadn't picked it up, I'm, I'm a big proponent of family. And one of the things that we did that I'm not saying everybody should do, but one of the things we did that we felt was important for family cohesion is we had dinner together every night, unless we were like, you know, traveling or gone or something like that. And then as the kids got older and they got jobs, obviously that, that played into it. But like, if you weren't working at a job um, and you hadn't, you know, you didn't clear it with us ahead of time that you were going to go out with friends or whatever, then you were at our dinner table every night, all of us together. And we would talk about what happened during the day. And I just felt it was really important to, to stay connected to the kids and, and also to share with them, like, you know, Hey, this is what I did now, nine times out of 10, A, they didn't care or B, they didn't understand. That's okay. You mean they didn't ask you to update your Solaris article? No, they did not. Oh, okay. Um, I thought maybe that came from them. Yeah, no, you would think so, but it didn't. Uh, but it was that process of, of sharing what was important to us that let them know that they were important because we were sharing this with them. Right. And then after that, we would take some time and we would watch you know, uh, some sort of show, or sometimes we would write, read books together um, as a family, like we would read out loud and everybody would get a chance to read. And that was also helping the kids practice and especially the younger ones and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, and then that was it, you know, then the kids would be off to play and, uh, and I would, I would go back and I would, I would essentially work. I would write blog posts or I'd work on the book or whatever the case may be. And if you think about it, like, you know, over the course of the evening, you could spend three, four hours just sitting in front of a television, you know, doing essentially nothing. And even if you want to take half of that time because you want to bond with your spouse or your partner or with your kids or, or whatever, your dogs, right? That's fine. But there's two hours there that you could be using to do something else. And, and so for me, that was, that was it. Now, when it came to, uh, and this is a really archaic thing in today's day and age, going to the office. <gasps> um, oh no, who does that? Right. I know. But then we did back in that day, we did. Uh, go to the office and, you know, I would do things like um, I would pack a lunch with me and then I would work over lunch and I would be working on a, you know, like not necessarily a customer project. Um, if I were, unless I obviously, unless I had to, but if I had the time and I had that free time uh, during lunch, I would, I would do a working lunch and I would be working on some side project of something I was working on or something I was trying to understand or something that I was building or taking apart or whatever the case may be that I felt would, would further you know, where I was going now, the, that that's part of it. The other part of it is, and there's probably three different aspects I want to touch on real quick. The first part is that is just looking at what you're doing with your time and, and can you use that time more effectively in some way? A lot of people who used to have commutes would use those commutes for podcasting. And so they would listen to podcasts during the commute, right? Great um, way to do it. Absolutely. I haven't had a commute in over a decade, so it hasn't really helped me much. 
Um, I've been working from home for that long. You listen when you go to the grocery store. I, I or actually, I've just started re- restarted listening while I'm walking my dogs. There you go. Because yeah, what else are you going to do? Dogs aren't going to talk to you. But so the first part of it is: Are there pieces of time that now you're doing something, but you could do something that would build your career? So that's part of it. Second part of it is making the most of the time that you that you are spending. Like when you do take that time to to do something, you know, really make sure that it's effective. Um, and here, you know, this is falls into that slippery slope called productivity. And you want to make sure you're not just being busy for for busyness sake. Um, it's a it's a super easy trap to fall into to to spend all your time tweaking your productivity system to make you more productive when you actually don't get anything accomplished, right? And I say that from personal experience because I've been there. So hooked on how do I be more effective that I wasn't being effective at all. And and so that's something, but but there are ways, whether it be a to-do list, a very simple to-do list, whether you're into something more advanced, like some sort of, you know, getting things done type of methodology or something like that. There are ways to do that. Um, and there are also ways to, to capture pieces of information that, you know, you need to go back to later, which I think is a, a sort of a sub aspect of this part of it. Right. Um, you know, you might find a, a, a URL being referenced in a, in a Slack channel or on Reddit, or somebody sends you an email or you found it in an RSS feed and you're like, Hey, this is interesting. I want to come back to this later, being able to capture that somewhere and know that you've got it and not spend cycles thinking about what was that article that I was going to go read? Where did I, you know, did I save that somewhere? Where is it? Right. You know, so building systems that make it easier for you to do that and not spend mental cycles thinking about it. That's the thing. And then the, the third part is what's next. And this has come up a lot in terms of, Hey, I'm in my day job now and I want to do this other thing over here, but I'm so busy in my day job now that I don't have time to learn this other thing over here, but I really want to learn that other thing over here. So how do I learn that other thing over here while still being in my day job right here? Right. And I think the first two parts of that first part, first two aspects, using the time that you may not be using now, and then making the most of the time that you are using that third thing though, is what is that? What is that next thing? Right. And this one's really, really hard to, there's no like silver bullet here. I tend to look for trends uh, that I see emerging. Um, and the only way to do this is to, is to, is to read a lot. So, you know, reading voraciously, I still have an RSS reader. I know most people probably don't even remember what RSS is, but I have like 150 blogs, uh, you know, maybe, maybe 200 in my list. And I scan through them on a regular basis and I capture those things that I think I need to look. And I begin to see trends of p- things people are talking about, right? Um, oh, they're talking about this thing. They're talking about that thing, um, you know, and, and then connecting that with what you've already learned and saying, well, how does this influence what I've learned? How does this affect what I've learned? Does it make it obsolete? Does it simply enhance it? Does it extend it? You know, those kind of things, right? And that's that's how you choose what to do with your time, right? So Part one is finding the time. Part two is making sure you make the most out of that time. And then part three is what am I going to do with it that I'm going to, you know, track with the system. And that is that finding that next thing. And I think, I think that's sort of, it, it's going to look a little bit different for every person. Right. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. That's, that's a good framework. I mean. And I would say in part two, when you're focused on, I would say just minimize your distractions when you're spending your time learning the next thing or focusing on the next thing so that 
you don't get 15 minutes in, oh, I, you know, I got a notification on my phone. Maybe yes. put that in a different yes. room or yes. turn it on silent. Do you, do you give yourself a time limit for those things during the day? I, I've heard of some people, like maybe they dedicate an hour, maybe it's two hours, maybe it's 30 minutes. Do you just do when you can? I try to, so I've gotten to the point now where there are so many things that I could go after. Like there's just, and that's true for anybody. Not just it's me, overwhelming. Just, there's so many things I go after. So I find now that I have to limit it to things that I can more, more directly relate to what I'm doing in my day job right now. And then maybe like sort of one, I don't know what the right term is, you know, sort of one relationship away, right? Like, you know, sort of one step away, it may not be directly related to what I do, but it's, but it's close enough. It's like an adjacent area. It's not, yep. it's not two steps away. Right. But like just one step away, it's close enough. It's adjacent. And as long as I can tie that back into what it is that I do and how I help customers, then that's fine. And I don't have to worry about it. It's a little easier for me now because my wife and I, we have no kids at home. They're all grown, moved out, college, graduated from college, getting their own careers going, that kind of thing. And so coming up to my office in the evening to jump on a podcast with you or to sit down and write a blog post about, you know, customized components and cluster API, hint, that's a current one in my queue that I'll publish. Sounds like a good one coming. You know, that's, that's a leisure because I don't have to, I don't have to juggle having young kids at home. When I did have young kids at home, um, they were a priority for me. So I made the decision, for example, not to travel. Um, I didn't pick, start traveling extensively until my kids were older and then it wasn't going to be as much of an impact. And I made the decision, you know, again, making sure that I had a period of time where I reconnected with them and allowed them to reconnect with me after school and work and, and that sort of thing. And so I definitely believe that if that's, if that's you as a listener, you know, you have kids at home and that kind of thing, prioritize that appropriately. Right. But I still do believe that there are spaces of time that you can find, whether it's listening to a technical podcast while you're out doing your run in the morning or you're on your elliptical, um, you know, whether it's, you know, listening to something while you are walking your dogs, whether it's, you know, watching a video, um, you know, in the evening on your, on your tablet or on your computer, you know, something like that headphones in. So you're not bothering everybody, please. But those are all things that you can do to kind of make time for that investment. Yeah. That's fantastic. And that time with your family, that's something you can never get back. So Absolutely. don't, don't waste that, you know, whether Absolutely. it's immediate family, extended family, you only get that time for a short period, right? That's correct. And then they're gone. They're just a memory. So uh, take advantage. So speaking from someone who's, you know, lost parents, grandparents, as yeah. many have. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I wanted to ask, Scott, when you're focusing on the what's next, do you look at that through the lens of I want to remain a technical generalist? Or, you know what, this actually sounds like something I would want to get highly specialized in. Because there's a debate, you know, should I become, should I stay generalist? Should I go specialist? And even within some specialty areas, that's still fairly general because they're broad areas. What's your take on that? This, uh, this is another topic that I've debated with various folks at various points in time. At one point, it might have been on, uh, what was the name of that podcast that John Troyer and... Geek Whispers? Geek Whispers, that's the one, yes. Thank one you. of my all-time favorites. Yeah, Great, great, great podcast. And I love John to death. He's such a great guy. But I think it might have been on on uh, Geek Whispers at, at, at one point talking about this idea of like 
pie shaped skills or pie shaped skill set and a and a T shaped skill set, right? Where the idea, if you look at the the shape of the letter, a uh, letter T, for example, you have this horizontal bar which is fairly thin, and that represents a broad area of knowledge, um, but you're not super deep in that broad area of knowledge. But then you'll have one area where you're really really deep, right? And so they call that sort of the T shaped skill set, right? This is somebody who might be really really skilled in let's say server virtualization, for example, but also has some knowledge in networking and storage and applications and operating systems. Not super deep, but you know, some familiarity, right? And then there's this, the idea of the pie shape skill set, which is where like, you've got that, that piece across the top and you've got one deep one, but then you've got another one, which is kind of like leaning forward, right? Like leading you into the next thing, so to speak, right? Uh, where you are going to, you know, have the, this one deep area, but now you're cultivating a new deep area that you're going to move on to. Now, all of that doesn't really answer your question. It's an interesting discussion, but it doesn't really answer your question. I think that the the debate of generalist versus specialist is a non-debate. I think that it's actually okay. something that is taken uh, in the context of time. So here, here's how I'll say that. If you were to look at me over the course of my career, I've done storage, virtualization, uh, you know, cloud computing uh, via Kubernetes and, and, you know, actual cloud platform providers, right? Operating systems, uh, you know, desktop operating systems. Um, I've done some programming, um, you know, I rack and stack servers uh, back in the day. I did, you know, help desk support things early in my career, right? Now you might look at that and say, you know, that that's a generalist. He's done a lot of different things. But if you were to pick out any one point in time, I was focused on one thing, whatever it was I was doing at that time. And then whatever skill set I was preparing to do next, right? So as a, as as somebody who was involved in storage, I was I was understanding storage. I wanted to understand storage more. I wanted to 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 continue to do more. But then I also knew that there were these other things that were related to storage, right? And so when the opportunity came and I shifted, I didn't forget all that I knew about storage. I just kept that and then just built onto it as I started focusing on, you know, virtualization or as I started focusing on, you know, networking or whatever the case may be, right? So I, I'm of the opinion that as IT professionals, we cannot afford to be static, Hundred percent agree. Okay, technology is not going to stop; it just isn't. It's always moving forward. Now, even when the robots take over, it's even not when the robots stop. take over. That's correct. I didn't say it was necessarily moving forward in a good direction, but it is moving forward. <laughs> and let me just tell you, Boston Dynamics, watch out for those people. They make Skynet's the robots coming. That, you know, like yeah, run and jump and all that. Anyway, but technology is always evolving. It's always changing. And as and as technology professionals. If you call yourself a technology professional, then your profession is technology. Your profession is something that is constantly changing and you have to be prepared to change as what your profession is changes, right? I, I, I gave a presentation a few years back and I was like, you know, there's a, there's a saying, I think it's attributed to an army general. Like, you know, if you don't like change, you'll like irrelevance even less. Right. Yep. Um, you know, and it's true for IT professionals. If you if you don't embrace the change, you will get left behind. 
and and then you'll be you know you'll you'll miss out on the opportunities you'll miss out on the on the things that could make your career amazing and incredible right uh, because you're you're too focused on well this is what I do right but what you do changes and you have to change along with it and you have to see those opportunities and and be be prepared to see those opportunities be be watching looking for the opportunities right and and and, and so at any given time you're going to be specializing in something but over the course of time you may end up being somewhat of a generalist because you've addressed four or five or six different areas of of IT right i think though i i sort of believe that there's always going to be one or two maybe three areas where you will be deeper than any other and those areas may be related to each other but you can i also believe that you can cultivate that like you know i don't i don't nearly know as much about vsphere now as i used to years ago right but then again i know a lot more about um aws and kubernetes now than i used to years ago right right concepts will continue to apply specifics implementation details may change but concepts will still apply the concept of a vsphere vm or you know for those of us who are you know really back in the day a, a gsx server vm is not that far off from an ec2 instance yeah that's a good analogy i like the way you put that the implementation details the knobs you turn it's actually one of the yeah, it's actually one of the things I talk about when I'm, when people ask like, well, how do you learn these things, or how 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 should I learn this, or what should I do, you know, to to learn this new thing? And I'm like, focus on the concepts first, right? Um, I'll borrow something I you know I got from I, th- I think I got it from Greg Farrow um, on Packet Pushers. You know, he's talking about you know learning learning BGP. Well, you could learn about how Cisco does BGP, right? But then when you go to a Juniper system, you're going to have to relearn how Juniper does BGP. Or you could learn how BGP works. And once you understand how it works, then tacking on the de- the implementation details is a relatively minor thing. Yeah. In the grander scheme of things, right? So understanding the concepts, the key things that are portable across implementations, that gives you a broader base, a broader foundation, if you will, to then tack on implementation details. And I would say that maybe if you went deep in the Cisco BGP, that might help you learn BGP concepts. You would just have to be prepared for it. it's going to be called something different for this setting over here, or it's slightly adjusted, as you said. Yeah, there's nothing saying. I mean, the the reality is that nope, I shouldn't say nobody. Very few people are going to learn by reading the equivalent of RFCs, right? Yeah. For those of you that don't know, like the RFCs are the super dry documents that describe how you know all the protocols in our interconnected world operate. Some people will learn by reading RFCs. Most people will learn by seeing how that's actually put into practice. So you will have to use an implementation in order to learn the concepts. But if you come into that with a concept, uh, a concept centric focus, like I'm going to learn how to do BGP and I have a Cisco system in front of me. So I have to learn how Cisco does it. But if I learn, if I, if I go into that with, I'm going to be focused on concepts. Yep. Then um, your mind will will be able to separate. Okay, that's the command that Cisco uses, but what I'm configuring is this underlying foundational concept. And then when you go to an Aristos, you know, router, it's like, oh, well, it's just a different command, but it's still this concept underneath it. I like. For it. example, yeah, that's a great great example. I liked what you said earlier about being one step away or one step removed from the next thing and moving 
into the adjacency, but actually looking for the opportunities to move into the adjacency as you're preparing for it. So one more thing on this topic before I ask you a couple other questions and we get out of here, but how do you know if you're ready to make that jump into the next thing that you've been studying? Like, okay, I've been focused on virtualization. I want to learn cloud or I've been focused on cloud. I actually want to learn more about containers. How do you know when you should make the jump into the next role or career focused thing that encompasses that new area? This is a very difficult one to answer. I'll be completely honest because on one hand, I could say you don't want to wait until you're ready because then it'll be too late. Yeah, that's a great okay. point. On the other hand, I could say that there is a certain level of readiness that you need before making that leap, but that level of readiness is going to vary from person to person, depending on their comfort with discomfort. How comfortable are you being uncomfortable? And that will vary from person to person. I would not, I would not encourage someone perhaps early in their career to make a radical shift if they weren't at least in some fashion prepared for that in some way. And, and, and I guess this comes back to that, uh, that idea of adjacency. And I, I believe it was um, the book um, so good. They can't ignore you. Yes. That's what and I was that, thinking of too. Okay. All right. Uh, I believe it was that one that was talking about these people finding opportunities in the adjacencies where you you've spent years becoming very, very fluent in a particular area. And then looking at the adjacency is how you expand that, that, that area of expertise. And sometimes you find these amazing opportunities in that adjacency, right? Moving into that next area. The adjacent possible, I think is what Cal Newport called it. Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. I believe that's right. It's been I need to go back and read that book again. So I just read it this year, so that's oh, did you? Okay, yeah, fresh on the brain. It's been a few years for me, and I've got I've got deep work waiting for me that I need to go read. Um, also by Cal. Yeah, that's a good one. I say that because if let's let let's let's make it practical for example. Let's say you are uh, a, a a hardcore networking expert, right? You've designed lands and wans, and and you know networking inside and out. And you've even worked with multiple vendors. So you're not like a single vendor kind of person like you, you know, Hey, I've built networks with Cisco. I've built networks with Arista. I built networks with Juniper. Like I know all these other things work. I focus on concepts, right? Um, that sort of thing. Now, if you were just to, to just up and you know, you're, you're that networking person and along on the, on the scene comes Kubernetes and you're like, that's what I want to go do. But you haven't done any prep work, any legwork, right? then I would look at that as the equivalent of jumping into the deep end of the pool without knowing how to swim. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So that's why I say, you know, on one hand, you don't want to wait until you're quote unquote ready because there's always that level of fear, that level of discomfort when you're moving into something new. Can I do this? Am I prepared to do this? Did I spend enough time getting ready to do this? Do I have the tools and the technologies and processes and mindsets and all of that to do this, to learn this thing that I need to learn, you know, right? Um, there's, there's always some of that. But at the same time, you do need to lay some groundwork, some foundation. And, and sometimes that can be as just as simple as 
making connections between concepts in this new area and the area you already know. Right. So yeah. your hardcore networking person, where do you start with Kubernetes? You know, Kubernetes is the, the elephant, you know, Oh, it's a wall. No, it's a trunk. No, it's a tree. You know, it's a snake, whatever that science, you know, how that thing is about the blind people. Right. How, how does that look like to you? Well, to you, it looks like a new kind of networking because yep. Kubernetes does networking a little bit differently. So you can take all of your networking knowledge that you already have, and you can just expand it by a little bit by saying, oh, I'm going to learn about pods and I'm going to learn about, you know, CNI and I'm going to learn about services and these kinds mm -hmm. of things that are Kubernetes specific content concepts. But you just, you know, sort of incrementally eat that stuff and it just kind of gets assimilated into all your networking knowledge. And then now you've got your foothold in the Kubernetes space. And now you can begin to add some of these other things that aren't necessarily networking related because you can tie those back to, well, what is... What does that mean when this pod needs to communicate with this other pod across the network? Well, communicating across the network, that's networking, right? So now I can begin to see how these things, oh, multiple containers inside a pod. Okay, well, I know the pod has the network interface and the containers share it. Okay, now I've got another, and you've got another link in the chain, another piece that you can use to expand your knowledge, right? Rather than just jumping in, you know, whole hog and being like, I'm going to, you know, learn how to do Kubernetes and I've never touched it before in my life, right? You know. There, that little bit of prep work will make you ready to be successful to make that leap into that next thing. And, and I think that prep work going back to our tie with, with uh, the book is that prep work is in the adjacent possible, right? That prep work is yep. in what is right next to what you're doing right now, close enough that you can relate it to what you already know. You can, you can build neural connections to, to concepts that you already know but far enough out that it gives you that foothold to move on to something new. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. I really like that. And if you haven't read So Good They Can't Ignore You or Deep Work by Cal Newport, definitely go and read those. It's great stuff, great stuff. So we're almost out of time here, Scott, but I do want to ask, you've, you've worked for a number of different types of companies. You worked for vendors, you, were, you did some consulting, you did, you did technical training, What's it really like to work at a startup compared to consulting in a larger organization? And what would you tell someone going into it about here's why you want to or don't want to work for a startup? I think the kind of company, I shouldn't say the kind of company, that's not the right phrase, the size of company and the age or maturity of a company, uh, people's comfort levels with that are going to vary from person to person, obviously, as you know, most other parts of people's preferences. I personally enjoy the dynamic nature of a smaller company because maybe it's adult ADHD. I don't know. Right. I haven't been tested, but, but I like having the ability to do different things. Right. So when I, when I left VMware and, he, and at that time in 2018, you know, well, see, I joined VMware in 2013 right after the NICERA acquisition. And of course, VMware was a much smaller company at that point, right? I think we were 13,000 people when I joined in 2013. But even then, uh, I mean, that was, that was a step down from where I had been because I had been at EMC and they were 50 or 55,000, right? Um, so I'm going to a smaller company. Um, and even then you could, you could sort of feel the difference in the company and how they did things in the, the way that policies were handled and the way that managers worked, 
versus it wasn't as highly stratified. And it was even less stratified within that group that I joined because they were all the Nicira folks that had just been acquired. And essentially, you know, they were like put in a building on VMware campus and said, Hey, go do your thing. Right. You know, and, and they hadn't gone through that whole sort of integration process yet. Um, and in fact, Martin Casado, uh, who was my manager, uh, when I was, uh, with VMware, uh, in the early part of my stay, you know, he was like, he, he called it the pirate ship. You know, we were, we were over here just, you know, doing our thing right. Uh, in, uh, the networking and security business unit, NSBU, um, as we were bootstrapping the NSX business. Um, and, and so being able to go out and do, you know, quote unquote marketing events, uh, you know, and speaking at events or whatever, while also consulting with engineering and product management on future product direction, while also, you know, huddling with the rest of the CTO team on how are we going to, you know, structure this product and what's our roadmap going to look like and what, what are we going to prioritize, you know, in terms of, you know, the features that we're going to add next and the, and the problems that we're going to solve, you know, that's, that was, that was fun, you know, and working with a dynamic group of individuals like that. And it was that, that dynamic nature, I think that drove me to leave in 2018 to join Heptio. And then now I'm joining a, you know, a company here with, you know, 50, 53, 54 people when I joined. Right. And, uh, the field engineering team where I joined, you know, we were doing professional services. We're doing pre-sales. We're doing, uh, you know, marketing events. We're doing, uh, you know, consulting with engineering and product management. Uh, we're doing product development in certain ways. Like we, uh, one of my colleagues, you know, wrote this whole product that ended up being used by a customer, um, you know, and then later got open sourced and, and turned into, you know, a project of its own and all that kind of stuff. Right. As part of this, you know, just what he was doing. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're writing code and, and building features and, and, you know, it just super dynamic, super enjoyable. Like, you want to, you want to tackle something like you just jump right in and you tackle it and, and, and super impactful. Yeah. And yeah. And super impactful. Right. And, and, and I think that's one of the things I like about, about, about Kong as well. You know, Kong's bigger now we're at 325 or something like that. I mean, the number grows you know, every week cause we're hiring folks like crazy, but you know, within, within my part of the company, you know, it's like, Hey, we need somebody to, you know, ta- tackle, you know, this thing. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's do it. You know? Let's write a reference architecture. Let's write a white paper. Let's, you know, build out some infrastructure as code for test labs to make it easier to spin them up and tear them down, whatever, right? So for me, that dynamic nature is a great fit. Now, I fully recognize and admit that that dynamic nature might not be a good fit for lots of other people. And in those cases, larger companies that are more established with more well-defined roles may be a better fit. And that's okay. Yeah, I like that. You know, what's really interesting, Scott, is that goes full circle back to the whole principle, sphere of influence, elite level, individual contributor, and filling those gaps that you see. As, and that's something that you really enjoy doing. So I can see why you are in the role you're in, and it sounds like a great fit. But what we've just gone on is what I would call the full stack career journey. <laughs> uh, and that goes really well with your podcast, The it Full does. Stack Journey. It does, indeed. Yes. Yes. Um, and thanks for the mention. Yep. So. And if you don't listen, make sure and subscribe to full stack journey. Cause Scott does a great job. A lot of good topics there. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to have, you know, some, some good guests, you know, like, like, like Nick. <laughs> yep. 
one time. It was really fun. And, I, absolutely. Uh, and that's and I told Scott, you know, he had to come and be on Nerd Journey as a result of me being on Full Stack Journey. So glad I did. As we get ready to close here, Scott, any parting thoughts, words of wisdom, last career advice for listeners? Uh, so I'll I'll share with you the same thing that uh, I shared with uh, the Geek Whispers when I was on there. Okay. Um, at VMworld in San Francisco some year, uh, a long time ago. I don't remember what it was. And I believe it was Amy who asked me, like, what one lesson did you, do you wish you had learned earlier? And I was, and I, and I believe my answer, I might have it slightly off. Well, my answer was don't underestimate the power of your community. Um, and I believe that's probably something that a lot of us may be struggling with as we are in, hopefully fingers crossed emerging from the pandemic. And we've come to rely on working in, in very disconnected fashions, but we, we all have communities out there whether those are professional communities or personal communities um, that we can tap into that will help us succeed. And, and I can say in, 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 in all honesty that, you know, that's a lesson I probably didn't learn early enough in my career. And, you know, my wife would be like, Hey, why don't you go ask so-and-so, you know, to help you with that? I'm like, no, no, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I don't like asking people for favors, but the reality is like, you know, there's a lot of great people out there who would be happy to help you succeed um, if if they're able to do so, to offer their help in some fashion. And don't don't underestimate that, right? Don't don't let yourself go grow too cynical. Yeah, and a lot of times that collaboration between you and somebody else leads to something way better than you could have done on your own. Absolutely, I like that. I appreciate it. Well, Scott, where can people find you if they want to reach out or follow you? Yeah, so uh, I pretty much uh, only use Twitter as my social media platform. I uh, never did the Facebook thing. But you can find me on Twitter as at Scott underscore low. Uh, feel free to reach out and contact me. I um, I do have my uh, my DMs open, so feel free to send me a message. I would love to chat with you. In the event that you want to check out some of the content that I write, you can do that at uh, blog.scottlow.org. Um, and that's where I publish my content and so on and so forth. I'm also active in a number of different um, Slack communities. Um, so, uh, you know, Kubernetes, Slack, uh, CNCF, Envoy, Open Policy Agent, Cilium, et cetera, et cetera. So chances are, if you're in the cloud native-ish space, um, I'm probably on one of those Slack communities. So feel free to reach out to me there as well. I'd be happy to chat with you. And uh, uh, if I can be of some assistance to you in some way, uh, just ask. Don't underestimate the power of your community. And don't forget to subscribe, smash that subscribe button on the Full Stack Journey podcast. Yes, thank you. I should have mentioned that. I do do a podcast called Full Stack Journey. It's part of the Packet Pushers uh, network of podcasts with uh, Ethan Banks and Greg Farrow and Drew uh, Connery Murray and a whole bunch of great folks who are extraordinarily, extraordinarily talented in the networking space and others. But in Full Stack Journey, we talk about sort of... Um, the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. So we talk about all kinds of different topics and have folks on uh, sharing stuff. Uh, in fact, our, our next episode, which we'll publish um, in late October, is on uh, a, a cloud native integration platform. So if you want to find out what that is all about, you have to listen. Of course. It sounds like a good one. I hope so. Awesome. Well, with that, Scott Lowe, thank you so much, and I will say good night. 
Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care. like i heard some mentions of cal newport books john yeah definitely um it just i guess goes to show you time management it it's that thing that crops up you know super early when more is being asked of you and you're kind of a constrained resource you know where your work is super super valuable as an information worker that intersection comes you get super busy and cal newport just naturally emerges into the discussion yeah. I will say the book So Good They Can't Ignore You by Newport is excellent, as is Deep Work. And I feel like I know some people who did a series on that. Have you have you listened to those? Yeah, uh, I believe that was us. And you can listen to parts one through seven of two initially planned parts in uh, in our podcast feed. That's episodes 141 through 147 if you're playing along with our bingo. Nice. I wonder, maybe we could get uh, Scott Loback to talk about his reaction to uh, Deep Work as like a one episode or, you know, Or seven. 12, that one will be 12 episodes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How about that importance that Scott Lowe placed on family? I really liked that, especially when he was about to write the book. He sat everybody down, listen. I think I should go after this. I need everybody on board. I need you to understand that it's going to require everybody to do a little bit extra so that I can focus on this. And it, it sounds to me like if not everyone had been on the same page and willing to pitch in to help, he might not have pursued that. Yeah, I I really thought that that was interesting as well. I, I think that family as a priority came up a couple times, right? When he was not taking specific types of roles because he wanted to spend time with his young kids and, and be physically present and not, you know, out on uh, trips, you know, That's to various true. parts of the country or world that, you know, so it, it spoke to his prioritization. And then, you know, what you pointed out, like, you know, getting the entire family on board in order to pursue a project, you know, just seemed to be an extension of that, right? It's a priority, priority for me, but is it going to work for everybody else? I feel like Scott had this theme of filling gaps throughout his career. And I, I loved the fact that he was asked about the theme of his career in part one of the interview. He mentioned that being asked of, of him by Craig McLucky, excuse me, but that theme of filling gaps and educating, educating, building others up. I mean, that's the heart of the principal engineering role to my knowledge. Yeah. I mean, it's the heart of being an invaluable employee basically. Right? Yeah. Also, I love the generalist specialist debate that, or non-debate rather, that he shared with us. And it just reminds me so much of Range by David Epstein. All the aggregations of these different experiences making you a better specialist in the next thing you do. And that's kind of what he said, right? I'm not getting rid of all this old knowledge. I'm building on it to get to the next thing. Yeah, I really loved the um, pie-shaped versus T-shaped expertise uh, thing that he put out there. And it sounded to me like what he was doing was lining up a series of T's, 
right? It wasn't just one T. It was this T and another T and another T and another T. And the knowledge and information that you had before doesn't go away. You know, some of it might age out, but that's probably things that were specific to specific implementations and the fundamental principles that you learned along the way don't age out. And that's the important part of that. For sure. How about his commentary on sizes of organizations? He dropped in this part two of the interview that he actually worked for EMC, an organization at the time of around 50 some odd thousand people. And even stepping back to VMware was a much smaller feel and even smaller when he went to Heptio. But he really liked that dynamic environment that gives you the ability to fill gaps, interestingly enough. Yeah. It was fascinating to hear about what he liked about those workplaces, right? And that kind of emerged as he moved from organization to organization. Oh, you know, as you go from, you know, X to Y to Z, you know, the dynamic nature like emerges as this thing that you find super valuable. And then, you know, just like you pointed out, it's like, you know, VMware, he mentioned wasn't a small organization, it was 13,000 people, but he was joining a small new agile business unit that, you know, was moving fast and, you know, doing a lot of things like that was acting like, you know, kind of a, maybe like a startup inside that or larger organization. So, you know, these are the types of things that you, you know, as an individual can learn about yourself and can think about yourself. You know, you don't need to necessarily, you know, move from job to job, but Sometimes you do learn those things only, you know, in the negative, like, hey, I don't have this thing here and I feel like I need it. And then sometimes you learn it in the positive, like you you take a new job and then you have something that you had never thought of as super important and then you figure that out. Kudos to him to, you know, for doing both those things, I feel like. I call that exposure therapy. Until you've been exposed to what can be, it's hard to paint a picture of what you want. I mean, yeah. sure, you could dream up ideas, no no worries doing that. But to your point earlier, you may not have even known that XYZ was an aspect of a job that could be a thing even. Yeah. I can get very paid true. to do that. Very, very true. What about uh, Full Stack Journey? I mean, don't forget to smash that subscribe button on Full Stack Journey. He has some great guests, and I love the focus on practical tips right? In every podcast, what are some practical tips that listeners can take away and get started doing some of the things we talk about on the show? I love that. Yeah, that was terrific. That actually reminds me of the practical example that he gave about transitioning from one technology to another. Like if you're a LAN or WAN expert moving to Kubernetes, it just gives a sense of how he transitioned from one focused technology and area to another in his own career. Like, I don't know if that's exactly how he did it, but it just gives you like a pretty good idea of how, you know, he just stacked up those like series of T-shaped, uh, you know, experiences and uh, areas of expertise, right? Yeah. I know you shared a, a fun Scott Lowe story in our last episode, so I have one for you. I oh, remember okay. going to one of his sessions at my first couple of VMworlds. 
and he was walking around the room introducing himself to people asking them what they wanted to get out of his presentation i just right. i had never seen someone do that before and i thought this is perfect that way you can cater it exactly to your audience on the fly assuming you're yeah. comfortable doing that and he totally yeah. is based on that instructor and education background but that that one is something i'll always remember was that um before the session started yeah a few minutes before the session started i got in the room early and he mm -hmm. was just chatting people up hey how's it going i'm scott what was it you wanted to get out of today's presentation and so you'd give him a few nuggets and he'd go oh okay i really appreciate that constant calibration right? yeah constant calibration always be iterating That's awesome. <laughs> all right well uh, anything else before we get out of here no sir just a reminder we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening we want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder we're collectively on twitter at nerd journey all right farewell listeners and tune in next time as the journey continues i'm john white at v journeyman for nick cordy at network nerd underscore signing off adios Thank you.